Asian or American? Hi everyone, welcome to MX Asian American. My name is Karen Zhang, and this podcast is about the Asian American experience. Unpacking everything from mental illness, parental models, to food and pop culture. Welcome back, everybody, to MX Asian American. Today, we have J. Mark. Hi, everyone. My name is J. Mark Accento. I am a Filipino-American, uh, first-generation naturalized citizen. I'm also the CEO of We Are Heroes Productions, which is my production company, uh, which I created with the idea of making sure there's uh, fair representation for all ethnicities, races, uh, gender, sexualities, and all that good stuff. Uh, our flagship show, some of you may be familiar with, is Tabletop for the End of the World, uh, which is an actual play podcast and an audio drama shoved together. So it's about four people playing Dungeons and Dragons, but the twist is they live in the apocalypse. So we're telling two stories at the same time. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show, Karen. Wow, yeah, of course. Super cool person that I am blown away by, by the way. Um, yeah, so today we're going to talk a little bit about Asian American uh, representation in the media, uh, which is always a good topic and a lot of things to unpack. Um, so to start, do you want to talk a little bit about how your production company approaches um, Asian American representation? Yeah, so the interesting thing is that we're not quite there yet. You know, we're brand new. We we our flagship show launched about a little over a year ago, and then our uh, we just filed for LLC maybe in August because I wanted to wait till we are at least consistently running for a year before filing all the paperwork. Um, so in regards to just representation in general, I I try to make sure we're very sensitive about how we go about. Uh, representation. So not specifically Asian American representation. Of course, um, being an Asian American person uh, who is the CEO of a company where all my employees uh, majority tend to be white guys uh, because I grew up I grew up in Southern Maryland and so all my close friends it wasn't a very diverse area. Uh, but I try to make sure that when we go about writing parts for the show or for any show and when we go about uh, looking for people to work with or get stories from that if we can't work directly with somebody who represents a certain group that we make sure that if we create characters from certain uh, underrepresented communities that we are talking to the right people and consulting with the right people and writing characters so uh, in regards to that my character in in tabletop for the end of the world or tfue uh, twilight is a gender fluid uh, character and I'm very cis. Uh, cisgendered, for those of you who don't know, is somebody who identifies as the gender and sex that they were assigned at birth. And so when I went about writing this character or creating this character, I talked to a lot of my non binary, trans, gender fluid friends and I was like, I want to make sure I do this right. What's something that you wish was represented better or shown more? in mainstream media and what's something you wish was shown less in mainstream media and that's kind of the approach that i take and i make sure to stress with everybody in we are heroes that if we're going to create shows and content that we have that sensitivity and that awareness because you know we're a small company we don't have the money to pay people to work with us Um, if nothing else i'm going broke making content Um, i like to joke with my uh with anybody i work with uh, it's like, hey, I can pay you double what I make. I make nothing. Um, <laughs> but I also stress to people that if they want to work with us, I, I make sure to be upfront. So I'm always like, I believe everyone should be paid for their craft. I'm going to be upfront with you. We cannot pay you right now. If you're okay with that, let's work together. If you're not okay with that, I will not be offended and I would never expect you to work for quote unquote exposure. So I try to be very upfront about things like that. Um, it's very interesting of about what you said that most of your staff is white and like it, it's just kind of hard for me to imagine a, a white person like playing a character that's not white. Um, and I was just wondering if there's like backlash against that from any of the audience or like feedback. Yeah, so we've been really fortunate in the sense that um, because it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, uh, they can play. They can play other races and characters and something outside of their norm. Um, so the the way the podcast is set up is 
the meta narrative or the apocalypse when we were starting out we were like would it be too complicated to give everyone character names for this meta narrative and on top of that give them their character names for the D section and so when we were moving forward we we're like okay we'll just maintain our names and our identities but it'll be like alternate ver- world versions of ourselves or whatever so you know i still play a filipino man in this world uh, my two white cast members still play white men my puerto rican cast member still plays a puerto rican american man and like that's still all par for the course but then when i started writing other characters and roles um the ongoing joke in our show right now is that nobody's playing the the their actual race so uh we had one cast member he's a black man playing an old chinese man uh we had a black woman playing a very spanish woman and just kind of exploring and playing in that space and seeing how it goes but also making sure um one of the benefits is that our show is based 500 years in the future so answering the question of like what does representation look like in this future and also one of the other benefits is because of the improvisational nature of D&D. Um, one thing that really sets us apart compared to other shows is whenever we say anything improvisationally, we're doing it within the context of this meta-apocalypse narrative. And so, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a real pain in the ass to track because sometimes they'll say something and it suddenly becomes like part of the continuity and I have to remember what was said and not said. But it also comes out with like very interesting conversations because we're all very left-leaning adults. And so in one episode, oh dear, I think it was like 10 episodes ago, we had a whole conversation about how weird it was that once upon a time there were just white people everywhere. And we're just like, and one of the lines I said is like, I think that's something you have to actually actively try to do on purpose. Like, I don't know if that's something that can happen easily. And that was all improvisational, but a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of the stuff we talk about is it's kind of been this really great way of coping with the frustrations of the world we live in, but also the frustrations as a person of color who wants to work with the diverse groups, but also when you. When there are people who are being underrepresented trying to get paying gigs, it's this weird um, dichotomy of like, I want to work with you because I want to make sure you feel represented, but I also want to make sure you get paid. So it's really weird asking you to work with me for this thing where you're not going to get paid, but it will get you representation. It's all it's it can be very messy. So the way we kind of try to circumvent it is just make sure when we write characters that we're very culturally sensitive. I was actually just about to say that your um, approach is like super postmodern and it was actually very cool because you just said that um, your show is like set 500 years in the future. So that's like a postmodern approach to race and what does race even look like in the future and if there's even a thing as race, why are we separated by race? Yeah, and we really we really took it from a almost nationalistic perspective for this so the concept is the end of the world came because of late stage capitalism um the entire the entire world that's based in uh at least central to the characters is run by a russian named corporation called potreblet uh potreblet means consume in russian and so i get to play a lot with just learning random russian words and throwing it in there um, but then that's also why one of the characters happens to be Chinese, because like, what are the other superpowers in modern day America, Russia and China? So it makes sense that somewhere down the line, when when countries became corporations, that that was the kind of fusion that occurred um, in terms of cultural identity. Switching gears a little bit, what do you think about um, advocacy from like allies or non-POC individuals, I guess, in the wider media sense? And is there advocacy? I think I'm sure from your own production company, there is obviously, but I feel like I see less of it in like general media. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing it comes down to is making sure you have integrity. So I think a great example of this is say uh, Scarlett Johansson, who's my favorite Asian American woman. Obviously, because she just does so well playing <laughs> those roles, like in Ghost of the Shell. Um, yeah, the new the new Black Widow shows uh, movie is going to be our Black Panther. It's going to be great. But just as an example of that, is that she's she's a successful leading lady, a successful actress, has starred in a bunch of roles. She should have the integrity to to refuse roles. She should have the integrity to say. No, I could not play this character. And there are actors who do have that integrity. And honestly, 
advocacy is one thing and you can you can talk all you want one of the issues with advocacy not to say that people shouldn't be advocates but one of the issues that can come with general advocacy of just talking about it is you tend to be preaching to the choir the people that you yeah the people that you need to hear you will generally not be hearing you whereas actions can speak so much louder so if you are and and, and there is a difference you know between being a struggling actor just trying to take whatever roles are thrown at you versus being a successful mainstream actor. So if I was offered a role, um, especially as a Filipino man, I've, I've been told I'm very um, racially diverse in just my look. Uh, and and so if I'm offered a role as a, I don't know, but I'm told if I'm like if I'm offered a role as a Spanish-speaking person in a, in something, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'll take it because I I need to build my resume and I need to get bigger. But if I'm like in a Marvel movie as a lead superhero, and then one day down the line I'm told to uh to play the lead character in a remake of The Color Purple, I'm gonna say no because there's a time and a place. <laughs> Yeah, so th and that's what it comes down to, really. It's just it's advocacy, but also the willingness to advocate um, for yourselves. the the biggest The biggest thing that any group can do to advocate for representation is making sure the right people are in the rooms. You look at any, I mean, you look at the new Spider Man movie. Um, his his best friend's a Filipino man, and he's actually like a a fully fleshed out, interesting, funny character. And he he's not just a stereotype. Uh, you look at anything Dante Bosco is in, who is my my one true Filipino hero, from back when he was in Hook to when he voiced Zuko. Like it, it's it's about making sure that when a character is written, if you're taking their identity in mind, you take it in mind in terms of how it informs how they perceive the world, but not how this is gonna sound. I'm gonna try to phrase this accurately. Taking identity in mind for creating any character informs how they perceive the world, and it shouldn't be written with how the world should perceive them. Yeah. So I think a really excellent example is uh, Always Be My Maybe, is, you know, written by an Asian. I have every song in that movie memorized because I'm trash. But <laughs> Randall Park, I didn't know he could rap. He did a cypher with David Diggs at some point, and I lost my mind. I was like, oh, this is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, but just as an example, you know, that was written by an Asian woman. And the way it was able to capture how we perceive the world, you know, food is a big part of Asian culture and identity, um, Asian American culture and identity, especially because for a lot of us, um, because of coming coming to this country either as a first generation, uh, a second generation American or first generation naturalized born citizen, a lot of us, that's the only connection we have to our heritage and culture because our parents didn't want us to be bullied in the same way they were bullied when they first came to the country. They wanted us to be treated with respect and they knew that accents and leaning heavily into our roots was a big barrier to that. And that's what it was like for me. I mean, I'm very appreciative that my parents gave me that growing up. But now as an adult, I'm so disconnected from my heritage and my family in a lot of ways, my extended family. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of um, characters, Asian American characters that are portrayed in, um, I guess, mass media, mostly lean towards those who are disconnected from their culture. Um, and I'm wondering if there's also a storyline behind ones that are still connected, because I feel like those are also less represented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm yeah, actually I, one of those that I'm like still fluent in Chinese and everything. And I still talk to my parents. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm still on like Chinese media, stuff like that. And I just feel like I see less of those that are like, like me. Yeah, and a, a lot of that comes from the people in charge at like in in major film studios are old white men. And so they want to have that mass appeal and a story being told from their perspective, a story being told for Asian audiences wouldn't sell to what they perceive as the majority. So people wouldn't buy into it people wouldn't buy into that diverse experience and the fact that like not all of us are suffering from 
uh, racial dysphoria, I guess, to coin a phrase weirdly. Not all of us are suffering from feeling disconnected from both cultures that we're in. Some of us do feel very connected to our cultural roots. Not all of us like doing math. Stuff like that. Like, really, really simple things. And it, and it, it all comes down to the fact that they just believe that it wouldn't sell. Because the people in the seats in these companies are all, are almost all old white men. Um, a little bit about, I guess, audience or like mass appeal. What do you think about um, the farewell? Because I know most of it is actually in Chinese. I actually watched it at uh, my college theater and most of the audience was actually white. So I'm not sure if they actually got any of the, you know appeals that because i'm not sure what the target audience for that movie actually is absolutely so the farewell is on my list i actually haven't had the pleasure of watching it but i mean i love aquafina um zima zima has been acting forever um i mean i don't think i remember the last time i saw him was like rush hour but like much respect <laughs> and so most yeah. of the movie is actually in chinese and um and they, like there's there are subtitles for you know when when they speak in chinese but i'm just like not sure if one if one would make a movie like that uh to have a target audience in mind i know like sometimes cuz like when i write poetry i have to figure out you know if i have to write this word in chinese so if i do should i like put a footnote so that people who aren't chinese will understand and I kind of have to like wrestle between like putting enough information in for non Chinese people to understand and then leaving enough stuff out in order to, I don't know the word for it, but like, it's like, I don't have to explain everything about me. Well, I mean, I think that comes down to the question of who are, who are you writing for? Are you writing for a mainstream audience or are you writing for yourself? Or are you writing for the people in your home uh, in the metaphysical sense. And so, I mean, for one thing, The, the Farewell was rated a, like one of the top grossing movies by AFI or something. Um, and so I think the biggest reason why movies like these are being made uh, in part is definitely Crazy Rich Asians is a big part of that. It, it, opened, it opened a lot of doors for Asian and Asian American actors um, and Asian english-speaking actors i'll say to be like oh yeah we can also make a generally speaking like mediocre hollywood film like i need to take a step back and because because that's that's one of the pressures of any underrepresented group right it's like we can't just work to be just as good as the mainstream we always have to be 10 times better whereas in my head i'm just like i just want us to to be able to make a shitty movie too like why can't why can't we make a really crappy like early 2000s Marvel movie starring wh whoever that dude was that played Bruce Banner back in the day? I don't even remember. That was such a bad like like the 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 pressure to make something that good and exceed and strive and like I said a part of but like with Crazy Rich Asians opening the door like we kind of can do that now. Not to say we shouldn't strive to make good content, but like it it almost lightens the the weight of it because now we know not only can our movies be made but they will bring in an audience you know we don't we don't need a great wall situation where it's about a white savior which by the way the great wall was built to keep the mongols out so that was a weird direction and a lot of people was like oh but it was a chinese production company it's like i don't give a shit it was a chinese production company they still cast matt damon randomly in china with monsters which that movie could have been real baller if they just didn't like I don't, it was just, it, it was very, it was very, um, just unreasonable. Uh, and then, and then you have movies like Ghost in the Shell starring Scarlett Johansson or Emma Stone in Aloha, um, which I can support Emma Stone now because she very publicly apologized to Sandra Oh in the Asian community that one time. And it was hilarious and amazing. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, as far as language goes, it, it it really is because there there is a difference between making content starting out and making content for mass appeal. Like uh, the same thing goes for music creators. You'll you'll notice any famous musician, their their music style tends to change and ebb and flow with the time. And it's because they start out 
making music for themselves and people will fall in love with that sound but then there comes a point where they have to make music for the mainstream and to sell albums like because any any artist at some point if you're going to be making money off what you're doing as much as it sucks it it, it there does have to come a business sense with it and that's part of the issue is all the business savvy people like i said are not representing these communities so they don't think it's wise business decisions to make these kind of movies yeah capitalism listen to my podcast folks <laughs> <laughs> listen to his podcast <laughs> i guess um speaking of crazy rich asians what are your thoughts on that movie because i feel like i have some non-mainstream <laughs> thoughts <laughs> i think part of why i really enjoyed that movie was because it was unlike any other Asian film I've seen in America. Like it wasn't just a yeah, it wasn't just a kung fu movie. Um which not to say those aren't great. Like I'll watch a Jackie Chan movie any day. But <laughs> but it yeah, yeah, it it wasn't just an old mentor teaching somebody how to do martial arts. It wasn't it wasn't just it it, it was just like I said, it, it it falls for me into the category of we can make mediocre movies too. We can make we can make feel good movies that people go to watch not because they're trying to have deep intellectual thought processes, but because they're just trying to have a jolly good time. And like, not to say it didn't have moments. Like, I don't understand shit about Mahjong, but I emotionally could tell that was a very important scene. <laughs> and, and like anything that features Ken Jong in it, I'm gonna watch the shit out of it because that man was a doctor and was just like, no, nah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go act now. And I'm like, how dare you have both things happen in your lifetime? <laughs> but that I think that's why I love it. You know, I've I've only ever actually saw it once in theaters, and whenever I've seen it pop up my feed, I haven't necessarily been like, ooh, I'm gonna watch this again. But what it did, the cultural impact of it, I think, is more important than the movie itself if that makes sense and i i can very genuinely see it falling into obscurity as we start getting more and more movies along that thread i so i guess i'll explain a little bit about why i said my thoughts are not mainstream um so i think to your point i agree that the cultural significance of it way like overpowers its like if it's a good movie um because the c- culture impact was so huge but i also feel like it it was a mediocre movie to be honest yeah. um it was like a kind of like a usual like plot slash trope yeah you could if you, you could take that entire movie and recast it all as white people and it would be the same movies that we've been getting, getting. yeah exactly and i i just feel like if we're going to make something with a huge cultural impact, it should be something a lot better than that. I mean, mill- millennials are getting older, so it'll get there. <laughs> Shoot with the stars, boomers are dying out, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but no, I do I do agree. I, uh, it sounds like we're in the same mentality and mindset in regards to that. It, is that, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a good movie, and what it did for us was really great. And... Um, people coming out to support it was more it, it's like supporting the new sonic movie you know like the movie is still gonna suck but because paramount listened to us about the animation we have to go and make sure they know that it's okay to listen to audiences like i'm very excited for this movie to be a train wreck i want it to be the next super mario bros movie i want to watch it and be like what's your first name sonic and what's your last name sonic like i just want that kind of bs in it and i'll be like i'm in i'm in for the long haul but I'm not going to watch it and be like, oh, it's a, it's a big cultural phenomenon, like real artsy and like changed my life. Like, no, things can have a cultural impact and still suck. <laughs> um, I guess we can move a little bit to, I don't know, quote unquote, less mainstream media slash mass media and talk a little mm-hmm. bit about YouTube and YouTube representation because influencers slash YouTubers are getting really big and it's kind of scary it's scaring me because I think I grew up in the generation where YouTube was just like starting yeah, to get big. I kept up. <laughs> My thoughts on YouTube as a whole. Uh, oh, God. Uh, so just as far as what one thing that I found that's 
it's a double-edged sword, and you'll hear people say this all the time. What's great and what's really awful about YouTube is that anybody can make something and put it out there. That That is both sides of the spectrum, like, entirely. There's no middle ground to that. It is both great and really awful, because you get all... The, the good news is you'll get access to content you normally wouldn't normally get access to, and the bad thing is you'll get access to content you wouldn't normally get access to. Like, like Russian trolls and uh, alt-right Nazis are, like love YouTube, and they're always posting random shit on there. Logan Paul's of the world. But, so I, I guess as far as representation and Asian-American representation goes, um, Wong Fu Productions have done so much for the community, but they also shot themselves in the foot. And here's what I mean by that. And I actually had a really good conversation with this guy yesterday who runs a uh, – who just opened a, a printing press uh, in D.C. specifically for uh, publishing uh, LGBT like novels and literature and fiction and nonfiction, stuff like that. I was talking, I was talking with him yesterday. Um, his, uh, his press is called Neon Hemlock Press, uh, and his name is – I want to say uh, David? David Ryan. I want to say David Ryan. I just met him yesterday, so this isn't me just being like, we're close friends, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, but we, we had this conversation yesterday about how difficult it can be being the person who wants to take the leap towards, I want to make content that represents this group, because then in a weird back ass-backwards way, it somehow automatically discredits people you work with. It's like, oh, of course they cast the Asian guy in Wong Fu Productions. That's where all the Asian people go to act. They're not real actors. Yeah, and stuff like that. And so I think if Wong Fu Productions had been like, we're going to hire Asian actors, but we're also going to tell like these stories and hire more than Asian actors and had just a little bit more of a mix-up there, it would lend them more strength. But I think there's a reason why they never grew more past like i want to say i think i was in high school it's so like 2010 i think after i graduated high school i stopped really seeing them in the spotlight and like i said yeah and i think a big part of that honestly falls in line with with that issue um timothy de la ghetto if you know him um i have mixed feelings about him as a individual in terms of just like process and mentality and stuff but he did say something that really had me thinking about that when I was looking towards pursuing the route of being a, being a performer. And he was like, I don't have anything against Wong Fu Productions, but the reason why I don't work with them is because I don't want people to be like, oh, yeah, you're just going to work with all the Asian people and not work with other people. I want to work with everybody. And so and, – and that's not to discredit Wong Fu at all. I love them. I love the work they're doing. Um, this is strictly speaking from a cultural analysis level with my limited understanding of sociology of just like – that's what happened and that's the risk that comes with organizations like that whereas you get people like um <clears throat> college humor or uh well not so much rooster teeth like everyone they work with is basically white but you get people like college humor and you you see that they're, they've started expanding and getting more diverse people in their groups like college humor's current uh current main cast now has uh three asian people um on their team uh, one of which uh, is – I don't know if Reka is Indian or Pakistani. Um, uh, that's very offensive that I don't know. But yeah, you know, they, they, they have more than just white people there. And so that, that gives more strength and credibility to people like us because we're showing that we can play on equal footing and that we're not just going to be the people working with exclusively Asian production companies. And so that's, you know, that's, it's a hard line to tread and I don't have the answer, I guess is the short response. Cause I think, I think, well, yeah, organizations like Wong Fu Productions are extremely necessary and I would never tell them to shut down or even rebrand. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you gave a super interesting perspective and made me rethink this whole thing, basically. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think first of all, it's really sad that we need to have other white people on like a on the screen with us to give us more credibility because we can't stand alone for some reason and then uh second it is true that if because like for me if i see a film or any type of art um media that only has asians 
I just feel like it's not representative of the world. Unless it's like based in like in like China, then it's like yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also why I think that white people sometimes or like non POCs are needed in you know the Asian American community as well, Um, because I think they also serve as allies, but also serve to quote unquote boost our credibility, and also like I think so. I think there's a way to do it that can be done very well. Like, take I, I think Black Panther is an excellent example of having a movie where, okay, you want us to throw, like, one or two white people in here, fine, but one's going to be the villain, and the other one's just going to be there to help us, and then the third one's going to be a cameo at the end to set up the next movie. But, like, but like it, it's about taking these characters and making sure they don't fill the same tropes they usually do. Um, late, night, late Night host Seth Meyers uh, made the greatest piece of comedy I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it was a movie trailer, and it was called the White Savior movie trailer, and it hit every single trope that yeah, it hit every single trope that you see in those movies, like The Help, where it's like a white person is surprised to find out black person is actually very intelligent. White person, a uh, group of people don't want black person to come into their bar, but white person says it's okay, so everyone's fine. Yeah, like I want, I really want to see the movie Last Christmas because it's it's literally just a cheesy rom com that happens to have an Asian American. Well, actually, he's, I don't think he's American. I think he's Singaporean or or British, but whatever. You happen to have an, yeah, an English speaking Asian actor. And Amelia freaking Clark falling in love with each other. Like, that's how we give ourselves a foot to stand on um, moving forward. Is Wong Fu Productions was very necessary because it allowed people to stretch and flex their creative juices and create content and get the work, like, build their resumes and practice. But now the people who worked with Wong Fu Productions are moving forward. Well, I don't know if they actually are, but this is just my idea of, like, they're moving forward and breaking into Hollywood now. They're like, great, I got the practice I needed. I, I worked with the people I wanted to work with. I got comfortable understanding the work that comes with this without having to navigate uh, being an Asian person in a room full of white people. And now I'm going to literally just make content and I'm going to cast Asian people. And it's not going to be like they're there to give you wisdom on a mountain or something like that. And I have always wanted to do that, but it's not because I'm Asian. Well, it might be because I'm Asian, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, all really good points. I really want to watch The Last Christmas. Um, it oh, just it, so it just really shows that, you know, white people can also fall in love with an Asian person who right? and it's is it a joke? Right? My wife is white. It's a thing that happens sometimes. Like it's a thing, although it not gonna lie, um, as a Filipino person, and this may come across offensive to people, but I have to say it. I actually never dated other Filipino people growing up because in our culture, in our culture, we call everyone auntie and uncle, and that creates very confusing dating dynamics when you're growing up. Because I'm like, I don't know if I'm related to you or not, and I don't want to run the risk of falling in love and finding out later. And so that was it's a thing it's a thing everyone was auntie and uncle i had so many aunties and uncles and then found out people i was related to that i wasn't related to and people that i actually was related to and it's just, it's it's too much and that was the that's the main that's literally the only reason why <laughs> game of thrones may have made it cool but it's clearly only cool for white people so i'm gonna <laughs> right. i mean you do you you can love whoever you want <laughs> i can love whoever i want i just yes. want to make sure we're not related let's see do you have anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I would love to talk about just how people can kind of break that mold, you know? Because the the way the way I got into making this my production company was literally based on the idea that we need to have more people in the room. So in DC, uh, my buddy Patrick Strange, um of new release wednesday comic uh the youtube channel new release wednesday um started this uh thing at dc's comic con called awesome con called uh totally awesome asians and it's literally just let's get a panel let's fill it with asian 
uh, creative people and let's talk about the industry and how you can make a difference in the industry. And I went to that panel and then I went to another panel that was all about just diversity and representation in the comic book industry. And everyone at both panels and at all the diversity and inclusion panels I've gone to since have all said the same thing. It's like it's nice that we want to be in front of the camera and it's nice that we want to be the faces there. But the only way for that to happen is if we're also the people behind the camera. If we're also the ones writing the scripts and directing and producing. And so for me, uh, when I graduated college in 2014, I was heavily like, I'm going to get into acting. It's going to be great. I'm going to join all these casting call websites. And they're always the same. White guy, black guy, white guy, black guy, white guy, black guy. And if it was an Asian guy, it was always like Chinese, Korean or Japanese and that's it. And I was just like, okay, so there's nothing for me. And there was a lot of frustration and feeling just very undervalued and also just, just defeated. You know, it's like I send my headshot in the minute they see I'm not one of these races, they're just going to toss it in the no pile and that's it. And so I was like, I, I will make my own production company one day. And um, I, I tried a bunch of different versions. Uh, first, I had a production company I made with my same group of friends, and we were just going to make sketch videos. Um, that fell through because I, I needed to grow more experience than being a manager and not just being an artist. Um, and then I built my own YouTube channel where I taught philosophy using video games as the engine for that. Um, and that fell through only because I became very exhausted at doing a shit ton of editing. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't want to let go of this idea and this dream. And I'll start with podcasts and we'll go from there. We'll grow an audience with something that is cost effective, that people can listen to on the go and in the background, that can let me flex my creative juices. And it's always with the intention of like down the line, creating content that creates opportunities for people, that I can have productions and movies and films and say race literally doesn't matter and mean it like i want to make movies that look like the brandy cinderella movie like give me a white man and Whoopi goldberg and an asian son and like i'm here for it and not a single person questioned it back then that sounds so amazing also so much respect for you for actually going through with you know your goals and your dreams i'm trying I'm trying. Um, there's a lot of anxiety around anything revolving finance and law that I have to learn now. But like uh, the creative and management side, I got it. I just need to get a good lawyer because I don't understand all the paperwork. I'm not doing anything illegal, but it's just like you have to fill out this subsection C, subsection F. And I'm like, bro, I just want to sign on the dotted line that says you're a corporation now. Help a brother out. Um, I guess a question is when you were trying to be, be an actor in the industry did you because like i'm i'm very disconnected and i don't know anything about the film industry at all um so i never actually knew if it was true or not that most are white people who dominate you know the upper levels oh yeah absolutely i mean look you you don't even so i can tell you right now i definitely never made it far enough to end up in a casting room with like the the people in charge but what I can tell you, I mean, look at any of the well-esteemed, well-known directors today. You got Scorsese, you got Tarantino, um, you got Spielberg, uh, you had George Lucas before he fell off the deep end. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you, they're, they're all white guys, and uh, that can be really frustrating. But now we're seeing a, a big shift and change. You know, like Jordan Peele is making incredible cultural movies that no one's ever made before because – he is a black man and he has those perspectives to offer and he can make these movies that are about black people experiencing something without it just being like oh we're slaves or oh we're in we're in gangs like so like he's capturing black experiences that only a person of color specifically a black person would understand as a black person that like there's more depth to that so like in casting rooms and like Places where you audition are all like the judges also all white. Have you ever seen a POC? Um, yes, but it's always for like, you know, like college films and indie films and stuff like that. But like not a lot. And then uh, that kind of comes in line with part of the issue is um, a portion of the responsibility does fall on us. You know, we we want to be the ones in front of we want to feel represented. And so we're like, we're going to be the ones in front of the camera. But somebody still has to write us in the script. 
and somebody still has to agree to cast us and direct us. So it's it's not enough for us to just be, I'm going to be an actor. You have to be a writer. You have to be a producer. You have to be a marketing director. Yeah, you have to give up many hours of sleep and your physical health and some relationships in some cases if you're willing to make that sacrifice. I don't recommend it for everyone. But, but like, and the thing is, you have to do it because you yourself as an individual wants to feel represented. The domino effect may be that it'll impact the world as a whole, but if you're trying to do it at such a broad scale, the weight will just crush you. Whereas if you're just like, I want to do this for me, then do it for you, and that will help drive you forward. And that will resonate with people because they'll align with it. But it's like, you know, people are like, I want to be famous. It's like, I don't want to be famous. I like, like when I was younger, sure. But now that I'm older, fame sounds horrifying. I like my privacy. I, I like being able to go home and cuddle with my cats and not worry about people peeping through my window. Like, I just want to do what I love for a living and just do that and, and still love it and not be beaten and drained by it. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> wow, words of wisdom right here. Yeah, no, so so at the at the end of the day, I, I think what's really important is that if we want to see ourselves represented in a more diverse way, it it does the some of the responsibility does fall on us. And it's not in a blamey way, it's just that nobody is gonna do it for us. We can't sit around and wait for other races to be represented and then say, hey, how do we get a bite of that pie? Like, we have to be the ones to say, no, we want to be represented. We want to be seen. So we have to put forth the effort that comes with doing that. We have to write the scripts and very consciously decide to cast diverse casts. And, like, this is a this is a deep-seated thing. Um, I took this really great auditions class in college, and our professor gave us a bunch of headshots and resumes and said, cast these Shakespearean plays. And only one group casted a diverse cast. And I was not in that and I was not in that group. And that was the moment that really opened my eyes to my own internal biases. Like when I was a kid, when I was a kid, all of the leading characters I wrote in my little like fictional stories and fan fictions were always white guys. And but that's internal biases. That's the generations we grew up in. And that's why, that's why, uh, to toot my own horn a little, like, that's why I made We Are Heroes Productions. It's not We Are Heroes as in the people in the production company are heroes, because let's, like, to be honest, we're just a bunch of douches. But, like, we, we are heroes as in, like, we can all be our own heroes. We don't need to have a stereotypical straight white guy leading our stories if we're not stereotypical straight white guys. We can be so much more than what we grew up looking at. And, like, we have more diversity now. With the day I found out uh, Lars from Steven Universe was Filipino, I literally cried. Like, I didn't expect... I didn't expect to cry, but he's like, oh, it's Ube. And I was like, oh, how did he learn how to make Ube? Did his family travel? And he's like, yeah, my, my grandma made this all the time when I was a kid. And I fucking cried, and it was incredible. Like, it's it's touches like that that will make a difference. It's, it's, not only, it's not only making sure we're taking the responsibility to write these things, but also to support the content that has these things, even if it's not perfect. Like, Crazy Rich Asians, I would not call the pinnacle of art or, like perfect always be always be my maybe i think i would i love the shit out of that movie that's an example of a movie i watched multiple times <laughs> and, yeah and it's and it, for crazy rich asians it's not because it had an all asian cast um not remotely it was literally just like it served its purpose and that it opened doors for us but i don't think it'll last as far as being part of the the dialogue of best like top 10 best asian representation films ever it might be at the bottom of like it was an okay movie in retrospect but that's it um so yeah like anyone who wants to make content like myself karen like you and wants to get the word out there we just have to make sure we're very mindful of how we go about it both in the creation and in the consumption of any kind of product is we need to make sure we're uplifting each other when we're just starting out. And, you know, you and I met through that fa uh, the Facebook group, um, um, ACN, Asian Creative Net Creatives Network. Like, I was like, oh, this is a really cool thing you're doing. I have a lot to say, and I want to help support you, so I'm going to go do the thing. Like, stuff, yeah. Yeah, and speaking of, I actually, there was this one person um, 
that came, like approach or connected quote-unquote connected with me and was like hey i have these services blah 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 i think you would benefit from this and i was like um yeah excuse me i don't think i need any of this right now but then he was so persistent oh my god <laughs> he kept trying to make me like buy his services yeah and th and that's what it comes down to as well i think one thing any group of people can do is just be better about uplifting your loved ones and your friends or even people you don't know before they're famous you know because uh you, you can talk to a lot of new creators and they're always like oh i just want random people to notice me and for me i'm just like i just want to feel like the people i love actually support and like the stuff i make because they're the hardest people to convince they knew you when you sucked and so like getting the getting them to want to buy into it when maybe they previously did try to support and they're like oh this person shouldn't be doing this but i'm going to be nice to them like they're they're the audience you want to con you want to convince as a starting out creator and they're the ones that will help validate your journey moving forward too cuz they'll be real with you about it um Whereas the, the early odds people who are rejecting you and then when you become famous, they're suddenly coming out of the woodwork. They're not your real friends. They're not the real people who believe in and support you. Like I had somebody hit me up when I was running my YouTube channel. Um, this guy I used to be close with in high school and we're not that close anymore. He hit me up out of the woodwork and was like, hey, your YouTube channel is really cool. I like that you're like using video games to teach philosophy. And I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. And he's like, I was wondering if there's any way I could help out. I was like, honestly, just sharing it and commenting. He's like, yeah, but, you know, I think I could give you a lot of feedback and tell you how to do it better. And I was like, hold on, pause. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was one of those weird things where it was like he saw that that was growing and he wanted to get a piece of the pie without doing any of the work for it. Yeah, but that's that's genuinely how it is. I totally understand like the other side of it. I mean, self self promotion is hard, and one needs to make money, at in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, and th and that's what it comes down to as well. I think one thing any group of people can do is just be better about uplifting your loved ones and your friends or even people you don't know before they're famous. You know, because uh, you, you can talk to a lot of new creators and they're always like, oh, I just want random people to notice me. And for me, I'm just like, I just want to feel like the people I love actually support and like the stuff I make because they're the hardest people to convince. They knew you when you sucked. And so like getting the getting them to want to buy into it when maybe they previously did try to support and they're like, oh, this person shouldn't be doing this, but I'm gonna be nice to them. Like they're they're the audience you wanna con you wanna convince as a starting out creator, and they're the ones that will help validate your journey moving forward too. Cause they'll be real with you about it. Whereas the the early odds people who are rejecting you and then when you become famous, they're suddenly coming out of the woodwork, they're not your real friends, they're not the real people who believe in and support you. Like I had somebody hit me up when I was running my YouTube channel. Um, this guy I used to be close with in high school, and we're not that close anymore. He hit me up out of the woodwork and was like, "Hey, your YouTube channel is really cool. I like that you're like using video games to teach philosophy." And I was like, "Oh yeah, thank you." And he's like, "I was wondering if there's any way I could help out." I was like, "Honestly, just sharing it and commenting." He's like, "Yeah, but you know, I think I could give you a lot of feedback and tell you how to do it better." And I was like, "Hold on, pause." <laughs> like and it was one of those weird things where it was like he saw that that was growing and he wanted to get a piece of the pie without doing any of the work for it yeah but that's that's genuinely how it is i was just about to say that i was like i know you know down the line i'm gonna have to do some self-promotion <laughs> and i'm gonna yeah. feel very guilty about it <laughs> yeah and th and that's what it comes down to as well i think one thing any group of people can do is just be better about uplifting your loved ones and your friends or even people you don't know before they're famous you know because uh you, you can talk to a lot of new creators and they're always like oh i just want random people to notice me and for me i'm just like i just want to feel like the people i love actually support and like the stuff i make because they're the hardest people to convince they knew you when you sucked and so like getting the getting them to want to buy into it when maybe they previously did try to support and they're like oh this person shouldn't be doing this but I'm going to be nice to them like they're they're the audience you want to con you want to convince as a starting out creator and they're the ones that will help validate your journey moving forward too cuz they'll be real with you about it um 
Whereas the the early odds people who are rejecting you, and then when you become famous, they're suddenly coming out of the woodwork. They're not your real friends. They're not the real people who believe in and support you. Like I had somebody hit me up when I was running my YouTube channel. Um, this guy I used to be close with in high school, and we're not that close anymore. He hit me up out of the woodwork and was like, "Hey, your YouTube channel is really cool. I like that you're like using video games to teach philosophy." And I was like, "Oh yeah, thank you." And he's like, "I was wondering if there's any way I could help out." I was like, "Honestly, just sharing it and commenting." He's like, "Yeah, but you know, I think I could give you a lot of feedback and tell you how to do it better." And I was like, "Hold on, pause." <laughs> like, yeah, and it was one of those weird things where it was like he saw that that was growing and he wanted to get a piece of the pie without doing any of the work for it. Yeah, but that's that's genuinely how it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, to wrap this all up, J Mark is amazing, and you should definitely go check uh, him out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So plug everything you want to plug. <laughs> We're a plugging okay, podcast. Yeah. Time to plug. Um, yeah, so hi everyone. Once again, I am J Mark Accento. I just want to say a huge thank you to Karen. Um, this is our first real conversation with each other on this podcast. So I hope to do hope to do more. I can talk a lot. I, I talk a lot. I'm a talky person and I apologize if I talk I, I apologize if I talked over you at any point. I'm it's not a it's not I swear it's not like a ma a male dominance thing. It's an anxiety disorder thing. <laughs> no, I actually love it because I actually am not a good very good talker. So, we're perfect. That's perfect to put in your podcast. Like, hey, y'all, I'm not a good talker, but I'll listen to you, and you can listen to them with me. Actually, that's a, that's that's your pitch line right there. Um, but you can keep that. Uh, but yeah, you can find uh you can find us on all social media platforms. Tabletop for the end of the world. Um, our handle across all social media is at tfewcast. That's at t f e w c a s t. Uh, you can also find me as well on Instagram at jmarkaccento, J-E-M-A-R-C-A-X is an X-ray, I-N-T-O. And uh, check us out. We have multiple shows out. We just recently launched our Patreon. Um, I, I don't know if this is going to go up like tomorrow, but if it does, uh, we have a Cyber Week sale going till December 9th. 30% off our entire merch store. And uh, the shows we have are really cool. Uh, there's Tabletop for the End of the World, which is, once again, about four people playing Dungeons & Dragons in a post-apocalyptic America ruined by capitalism. Uh, for you podcast fans out there, uh, it's been described by our iTunes reviewers as Welcome to Night Vale and the Adventure Zone having a post-apocalyptic baby. Um, and then we also have... Uh, we also have It Comes From Within, uh, where an eldritch god uh, named Edmund uh, takes the uh, main cast from tabletop for the end of the world and shoves them uh, into another world in the bodies and uh, in the bodies of the characters they created and tortures them uh, and then we have our behind the scenes podcast um, all of our extra content after the first few episodes are exclusively available on our patreon and you can literally gain access to all of our patreon and our di our private discord server um, this that's at, uh, for just five dollars a month um, at patreon.com slash we are heroes and i think that's all the things i think i hope that's all the th all the things so many amazing things <laughs> <laughs> um any you know last words oh last words to me yeah um just support support the people in your in your life you know if you don't have the money share their post or leave a comment or stuff like that and honestly it could make a huge difference i could get into a whole conversation about search engine optimization and all that stuff but really like the the more comments likes and shares a post gets the more it gets noticed and then the thing is I, the best tip I can give to anyone listening to this is that if you want us to stop self-promoting, then help us out now because then it'll promote itself and we don't have to do it anymore. So it makes it less annoying for you to do it now. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe if you enjoyed it. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or email us at mxasianamerican at gmail.com. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash mxasianamerican. And I didn't get to say this with J-Mark, but stay Asian! <laughs>